and welcome to the Dicer Screaming Podcast. Oh, wow, that was a throaty. Yeah, so I guess we're back to roaring again. All right. Well, hey, yes. you know, it's a thing. We got a lot to roar about because, we? hey, we're on time. You know, only oh. seven days between podcasts for once. Uh, yeah, you doing know. good. But doing. expect no less from the little gaming podcast that didn't even have the prereqs to make an official class. <laughs> it had to default to thief. <laughs> yeah, I guess we're playing a thief. Like nine to eleven in everything, you know. <laughs> really, generic human stat. <laughs> Tens across the board. The gnome thief of gaming podcasts. We couldn't even roll high enough to get qualify for human. <laughs> All right. Well, how is everybody doing? It's post Thanksgiving, post Black Friday, and we have survived. So post food coma. Yeah, I had a pretty good one. Oh, me I basically too. Basically, myself into a stupor. So that's Cornish yes. game hens stuffed with wild rice. Oh, we just had we just had the typical, just the basic bed show, turkey stuffing gravy, mashed taters, homemade marinade that I I basted it with, like every ten minutes. So yeah, okay. So I I, I hear you. I hear you over there, fancy Dan. Yeah, yeah. I did some fancy chef stuff because like. You know, got an actual chef in the family, and the Hanna brothers are all insanely competitive, and we own it and know it. Uh, you know, like, you got a chef in the family, like, oh, I gotta up my game. Otherwise, my brother makes it look like he's better than me somehow. <laughs> I'm kidding. My brothers will probably hear this at some point. I love you both. You're an inspiration to me. So I I did attempt to make food on that level. Oh, well, it sounds like it turned out pretty good. It was not a failure. So it came out okay. I'm really happy with the holiday, and I hope everybody else out there had a terrific My my turkey skills are legendary. Yeah. Cook it. I I know what to do with a bird. Cook it. Without making it all dry and grubby. All right. But yeah, so all that aside, well, you guys had it too, and uh, a good one. And here we are. Yeah, here we are just trying to figure out our way forward out of this. And trying not to train wreck ourselves at the same time while doing it. And, uh, yeah, so we're here going to be talking about some Queen of the Demon Web Pits, as so foretold by the Makeomancer. Yes, the Makeomancer, who, you know, has brought you such classics <laughs> uh, as Dungeon Module Q1 happening this week on time for once. My yeah, yeah. To all for well, that. Yeah. But Makeomancer has more to offer yet. Oh. Guess what's happening next week? What's that? The Mikaeomancer knows. What's he coming gazes in? into the blades of swords or knives, and he divines in the near future Samurai Movie Night. Finally! Uh, yes. Yeah, so we'll be talking about uh, some stuff about samurai. Uh, samurai movies is a genre, it's a subgenre of some of the Eastern cult films and kung fu and other things like that. But yeah, it looms large in our one because, wow, what a great uh, list of movies. So we're also going to be bringing in some uh, fertile soil for it to land in. In this case, we want to talk about Ruins and Ronin, that old OSR Swords and Wizardry retro clone, as well as Oriental Adventures and Legend of the Five Rings. So we'll be making some comparisons to those and yakking about those. Yeah, uh, the enormous inspiration that so, some of these movies had on gamers because, again, these movies were beginning to... 
disseminate in the United States to a greater degree and to wider audiences right about the same time that gaming was really germinating in like the, the actual literary sphere and in uh, you know college campuses everywhere, which was again the melting pot where people were exposed to a lot of theater and culture that they might otherwise yeah. not have seen. So it was all happening at the same time. Yeah, a lot of we're gonna know, we're gonna a lot touch. of art house movie nights. Yeah, a lot of uh, college cinema places that like hey, your local theater may not have you know uh, you know Japanese movie night, but some of those college university towns had some fascinating materials. Like people could get an opportunity to screen them and see them, uh, and it had an impact, a powerful one. So, well, I'm going to bring it lowbrow, just like with Mike's Thanksgiving dinner analogy comparison to mine. I'm going to bring it back lowbrow. Okay, you, you know, my first exposure to samurai cult movies was John Belushi on Saturday Night Live. It, totally, that was the first time I really understood it, and then. Just browsing through, I caught Seven Samurai, and then I was like, oh, this is what he was on about. This is where this comes from. Before, there was the VHS uh, tape and the video store rentals. So, that, yeah, that dates me quite a bit, but not a boomer. Well, Gen X got to. Yeah, so. I know. Well, no, I'm married, man, so, yeah, I don't need to. Oh, man. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I too, remember the era pre-VCR. Yeah, but when you would catch something, you, you got it that there was a there was kind of a cult kish to it. Yeah. You could put it into words like, I see where this is going, but I don't know all the context, but you gathered that there was something deeper at work here. So you would then tune your senses to try to open up your eyes to some, to catch more of this coming in. And from like famous monsters and other magazines, I began to get a little tin, a little bit of a commitment. But I also like to bring it back to the fact that while I didn't have uh, glazed Cornish hens. I also like Jim or John, Jim, John Belushi's. Well, was hilarious. Also, he, he may have been characterizing it, but he got the style down by just watching those films. And that's what we're going to go after. And we're also going to break one of our rules here. We said we weren't going to talk about Akira Kurosawa films. Well, we are. We're going to do it in style that we're going to treat Akira Kurosawa just like everybody else. And we're just going to talk about three films. Yojimbo. Oh, classic. The, the Zatoichi, because there's more than one. Which not truly samurai, but uh, it, it it's a period piece series that has such an emphasis on both the good side and the bad side of samurai. That, like it frequently appears it's it's a, a Yakuza in a world where the samurai are the high and mighty and often do not live up to their own code. And even like powerful Yakuza, once again, don't live up to their own code or ethos. Uh, so yeah, it was a very anti-authoritarian film or series, the, the Zatoichi series, but worthwhile. Also a classic favorite of mine. And uh, yeah, of course, the uh, Jimbo. Oh, yeah. And uh, we're going to round it out with Lone Wolf and Cub and uh, the movies Baby Card Assassin, as they were known. We're kind of focusing on some of the uh, works that didn't make it over here on the VHS craze in the 90s. Yeah, we're giving one nod to Kurosawa because, like, honestly, he deserves to be there. Any any discussion of the genre that didn't include something from him. And we're not touching the Seven Samurai because it's, honestly, it's worth a podcast all by Yeah, itself. we could just talk about... It's too good. 
yeah, we'll we'll be here all day. We're already are already well running over our time. We a lot for this uh, peek into the future, but the fact is is that we want to give you a little brush up because I was uh, kind of chiding for um, Uzawa Limelight, but then I started thinking about it. There's not a lot of meat there for a gaming podcast to talk about, and then I said Throne of Blood, but. That's again. It's one of those. It's like okay, we just took all the oxygen out of the room by just mentioning that. Umizawa Limelight. Uh, the reason we, you know, I, I, I loosely agree that we should like give that one a pass for the moment, is because uh, it's almost too meta. It's, it's yeah. a beautiful film that I absolutely recommend people see, uh, but it's a glimpse inside the industry of film. Yeah. And, <laughs> From you know, like the filming of period pieces and its waning years, okay, that that's what that's about. So, doesn't really fit our inspirational to gamers meta narrative, right? Uh, but we will cover it later because I think that we need to take it. We'll uh, mention it again. Yeah, we'll we'll bring it back up because if you guys like Samurai Movie Night, we'll revisit it. And of course, we mean this with the greatest of love and respect to culture. We're not. Yeah, if you have seen these movies, you know, like these are products that are. Uh, the IPs are available. I will try to do some research in advance and see what platforms they are available on so we can at least make mention of that right. uh, per a listener's yes, request good, some, good, sometime good ago. Yeah, the, uh, in our set. last movie night, we made a nice good faith effort to reference where things can be found and where you can watch them. Uh, but like these, the movies that we're going to mention are, you know, the ones that we think had an impact on gamer mentality at the time. So also because the kimono flutters regularly here, either from the Taco Bell or the uh, <laughs> chili he had last week. One end or the other. One is yeah, one, one, something. <laughs> uh, I can't walk over a steam grate without having to pull a Marilyn Monroe. Avert thine eyes. <laughs> Horror awaits. No, no. I, I kid you not. I really do want to like repaint a couple of Zeppelin albums so that like the the angel figures are wearing kimonos. Because <laughs> I'm a terrible person. You are, and you're horrible. <laughs> but uh, on that our last podcast, uh, we kind of touched up on some Steve Jackson games. We got some good feedback from that, both in real life and uh, the interweb. So, yeah, people kind of felt like it was about time you talked about that darn thing. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. well, you know, sure, sure right. but GURPS is kind of one of those, uh, yeah. It's if so you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, well, go find out for yourself. But GURPS is a great game, and, you know, it's done a lot. But one of the things it's done well is get a bookshelf full of supplements out into gamers' hands because gamers love collecting it. And one of the the pans I've often heard is that, well, you know, if I only had the, the group to play with, that is one of the great things is that GURPS such a successful game, but yet very few people play it. And I, that does allude to me as well, but uh, it alludes me it, why. It, it, it tells me to a great degree that it is a favorite of Dungeon Masters. And Dungeon Masters may not have a lot of requests to play that game, that particular game, but they do draw inspiration and source material from it. I mean, DMs, creatives, the, the people who are really pushing to uh, have a lot of source material to work with as, like, as, you, as a table captain, as the chief dice monkey, 
Uh, yeah. If you're a DM, these are incredibly useful products. Like even if you don't get to use them, when you're writing your own material, you're using them. Okay. Right. And one of the bad things that I wanted to that we often like after listening to oh, I should have totally said that is there is kind of a meta narrative in a generic universal system versus systems like uh, Top Secret or Boot Hill, how they're basically doing you're shooting at people, but each one does it differently. I think instinctively, even though they're doing the same thing with something like GURPS, you can play a Wild West scenario and an a espionage set in the 70s, a James Bond has. Yeah. Oh, and, and not have any problems. You would use the same system. You wouldn't have to relearn any rules, just maybe some difference in character creation. Your, your James Bond characters uh, wind up in a Cthulhu level scenario in a fantasy realm in which they have accidentally been transported. Yeah. All right. Just like three way combo, whatever. How far you want to go with this? Go as far as you like. Right, but the the meta I say inspiration for what you wrote yourself. I want to reference something from years ago, which you may recall, mm. uh, Forgotten Realms campaign that I was running at the time. I had written like just six options for extra planar encounters should the players trigger, uh, like the control mechanism at the heart of a pyramid, uh, in the sands of Anarok, mm -hmm. uh, the Great Desert. It was, I, I believe, Steve Pauly was there for this one. Oh yeah, and. I'm forgetting if it was him, but one of them, I believe it was Steve Paul who was playing a, a rogue by the name of Callan, and he actually did touch the control gem. Uh, and I rolled on the random table I had created for extra planar effects, like portals being opened. One of the oddball things that I had written up was a small squadron of F-16s comes through the gate. Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, you guys had to reopen the gate in get order to up. let them get back. Uh, but that's the point. That kind of genre mashing, you know, once that's in a DM's mind, it's never far from their pen. Okay, and, and mm -hmm. GURPS is incredible for that. So we give it the credit it's to do. Well, yeah, but I wanted to kind of land the plane on my side. Go ahead. But what I was saying is I think that the meta narrative that uh, I was going for was that in game systems, there's a certain charm to learning a new game system and a challenge as well. Even though like you have like two diverse uh, games that share a lot of things that are similar, basically shooting people, uh, they're completely different approaches on it. Boot Hill, say, versus Top Secret. And yet each one is completely different. There's a certain charm, I think, that people like that difference rather than just well, it's the same old system, it's just some new stuff added to it. That's where it kind of falls flat, I think, because even though that's an unfair comparison and it's not really not how GURPS is, that's how some people perceive it. And the optics on that situation would be really hard to overcome. But things like what you said are also important. I think why DMs stick to it so much is because it often the potential is greater than any sum of its parts. Even if you have a massive shelf like somebody we know, but it's just a huge collection of GURPS. And you're like, are you ever going to play that? And it's like, maybe. Okay, yeah, you know, but the fact that it, it is in Capture's imagination is important. So, yeah, I think that's another thing, too. And uh, while we're on looking over the past here, before we tear into our subject, I want to talk about, uh, take Mr. Hannah here up to task. Bad 
food combination. What, no, so which one is uh, RuneQuest? You know, the, what is it? The, the undercooked eggs? The No, um, it was the cereal-filled grainy sausage. Okay. The limp undercooked tomato and the sad, thin baked beans on the side. Oh, the baked beans. I, now, I want to very specifically mention, uh, Robert, talking right at you. Uh, this is not... Uh, I actually felt that the the games mentioned did not merit comparison to actual British breakfast food because uh, I had the classic British breakfast overseas and it was appalling. These games do not deserve to be pulled down. Like, what did Call of Cthulhu ever? These are great games. Uh, you know, like these are the bacon, eggs, and hash browns of like gaming. And like if breakfast was that good, then these would be the games for that. But. But when I, I heard the word British breakfast, all I could think of was like the horrifying British breakfast that uh, I experienced. And after that, I stuck to street food. Like I, I did not have like hotel or, you know, complimentary British breakfasts or any of that. I, I skipped all of that. And I went to the pub and I got bangers and mash and fish and chips and pounded stout. Um, so. Well, we're all victims of our past experiences. So. Unfortunately, we're all victims of Mike's past experiences. Oh, well, you totally on. were this time. So that, so that was an un it was an unfair comparison. I made it sound like uh, these three games sucked. No, no, uh, I, that's just me taking was like, a which, shot at was British breakfast. Because it was the grainy sausage or <laughs> the weak beans. Was that request? I gives you gas because the dog side. I I don't know. It makes it makes some analogy there. <laughs> I would compare it to the American, you know, breakfast, you know, um, bacon and eggs, toast and coffee. But, yeah. But, you know, at the same time, you know, you can't go wrong with that. And I will say this for the British breakfast. Uh, the cup of tea was amazing. Uh, I totally get why they have a stiff upper lip. It's tea toxicity. They're paralyzed. It's just not a, it's just not a ritual. It's a thing. It's a, yeah. it's a whole dang thing. Uh, it'll kick your heart into gear. Get defibrillators. They don't need them over there. Just you know, give them a strong cup of tea. Wow. Wow. You can't tell it's post-Thanksgiving from us. Man, we're all hyped up. All right, so, yeah, let's uh, let's rein it in there. Let's get back on the road. Yeah. There's that whole topic, which was Q1. Q1. Demon Web Pits. Now, this uh, comes out. It's uh, Notorious Sports Purple Cover. Uh, there's very few of its type in this uh, setting. It's... Uh, David Sutherland with Gary Gygax. And of course, right on there, it says an adventure for characters 10 to 14th level. And that's kind of an in-joke for these uh, these modules because, to be honest, nobody really thought that anybody would get past 5th level in the early days, let alone to ninth. So that they were writing for this level, is kind of peak irony for TSR at this time. Uh, you know, the little bit of crow-eating that Gygax did. Uh, with this was like, oh yeah, I guess well we actually have to publish some adventures to show people how to do high level play because yeah, it happens. <laughs> now this is not to say that their personal campaign over at TSR didn't have some very high level characters. Well, eventually, <laughs> yeah. But when they first designed the game, they joked nobody will get past myself on that. But oh. yeah, they didn't think that many people in other campaigns would, and here was a clamor for a lot. So here at the culmination of the Giants and Descent into the Earth, Vault of the Drow, we finally come to the end. Seven modules that you've had to play through. Of course, D1 and 2 are included together. Um, and we will cover the super module, Queen of the Demon Web Pits. Yeah, the bare minimum of like the, the three Giants modules, uh, the 
three drow underdark modules uh, and you know, like those constitute the six experiences you would have had to get to this point uh, and then of course you know tsr eventually built on it uh, tying it into the old slaver series uh, the a1 through 4 series mm. uh, and then temple of elemental evil and yeah. such like it eventually became the first super module uh, which permanently entrenched the idea of campaign play module by module into players and dm's minds uh, and this has shaped what products are offered by even other companies uh, pathfinder successfully built campaign level events uh, and now you know that, that's really most of what tsr releases or sorry not tsr but uh, dungeons and dragons through wotc uh, and hasbro this is what they release now uh, they release like module or campaign level events in module format uh, as a book you know not this is just one dungeon with an approximate you know usage of uh you know 30 pages maybe 40 you know uh, they don't do that that way anymore these mini modules these would be considered snapshots compared to modern product well the type print is also a lot marginal uh, more marginalized as what two mar columns uh, pretty pretty deep paragraphs of just well, visceral was, text i mean this, there's this a lot dense stuff yeah this this one there's not a one of the criticisms about here there's not a lot of art here so uh just going into that we're going to dismiss it because really in this one it's not because they didn't have the talent it's because they didn't have the space yeah there's a lot to cover in this so as we're covering it right here uh this is not a module you can play cold like you can just drop this in your, nope. you know pick it up rip the shrink wrap off and plop it open and play it in an hour or two. This is going to take quite a bit of work. And of course, uh, it builds on what was hinted at in the Dungeon Master's Guide right off the bat with an alteration of spells because you're not on the prime material plane. Some spells do not function. Yeah, and again, as they normally would. Literally, a couple of pages of this, uh, the first, like early in the module, there's a couple of pages dedicated exclusively to the way in which uh extra planar travel is going to impact the usage of specific magical items and specific spells a great deal of what the players may have learned to depend on is curtailed uh, far worse than when they were merely in the underdark and certain special effects were not yeah, teleport was nerfed heavily. yeah they, they they nerfed the teleports and things like that strange underground magic radiation uh, like space weather and Star Trek. Got it. It's a DM screw you. Yeah. Uh, that's all that is. That, that's not going to let you teleport. I just teleport back to home base. You know, uh, sell our treasure, come back fully prepared and restocked. Yeah. If you were if you were planning to like visit my private sanctum, uh, where I will gather my satchel of uh, extra healing potions that I left behind as a backup. Nope. You really should have carried them with you, champ. <laughs> Because you're down here now. Or, you know, to schlep your way all the way back to the top. What we talked about again. was one of the big things going into this was is that you had, you know, a certain carrying capacity, even if you have several bags of holding in maybe a part of a hole. <laughs> the treasure. You see, yeah, the things that you're covering, you have to start making some choices. And that I think that really brought it home right there. But, <laughs> like, you know, I, I. Yeah, I wept bitterly when I had to leave behind statuary and rugs and 
you know, just all of this lovely, incredibly valuable stuff. It's like, oh, it's worth 10,000 gold, but it takes up so much room. Ah, I'm leaving behind 10K. Ah, we'll let you spend some private time with it. <laughs> but yeah, so right in there, there's also the preface and there's a cautionary warning right off the bat. And the preface by Gygax talks about how this is a, a very... Uh, <laughs> tough module and uh he said he's committed to at this time the temple of elemental evil and uh, the village of hama which is why this is but it builds a lot on the work that he had done on the dungeon master's guide which so it's like he said it's finishing a module from an outline is a difficult task and this module really shows that it was a little rough at parts and i think this shows but uh, we'll get into that maybe but uh, the map uh, right away shows what I'm talking about with the rough edge. Now there's, yeah, there are two maps in here. Uh, actually, like well, the demon web itself, which what you map. get through, is this uh, garish <laughs> diagonal Euclidean diagram where it demonstrates that the demon web does the not. The Euclidean maze of the Wraith Lord Monfear. <laughs> Correct. That has to be referenced, I suppose. <laughs> All right, so yeah, there it's in four colors: uh, magenta, orange, green, and white, and it demonstrates that you're not in a plane that conforms to physical expectations. So to demonstrate how they wind and weave in on each other, here is a unique one of those weird things where somebody did take an Escher drawing and say, "I'm going to make a dungeon out of it." Yeah. Oh, right away, MC Escher barfed, and you got the demon web, uh, where. <laughs> where player characters go to wander. Yep, and you wander <laughs> around, and so it shows how it is. And I think that my criticism is this is needlessly overwrought because, at, in essence, what you're really looking for is where they cross paths you can go up or down. And I think that could have been done better, but hey, this is, you know, it's first time you were pioneering a lot. And to get this on paper, it was probably pretty rough. So... Kudos for them using the garish colors to really clash because, wow, I haven't seen this kind of combination since uh, two uh, Scotsmen collided. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, it was tartan everywhere. Oh, it was a tragedy. Oh, just tartan rage and. Well, if you're, you know, to paraphrase Robin Williams and Good Morning Vietnam, if you're going to clash, clash! <laughs> Ah, but uh, additional maps are provided for Lolth's uh, spider ship. Yeah, that was a little controversial at the time. Not a big thing where, oh, you know, there was a congressional inquiry. No, nothing of that sort. It was just, why do we have spaceships? And it's like, okay, well, she's a demon queen. I think that's a big thing. Hey, you know, what do I know? Hey, I got it. I totally grooved on it. Yeah, because gods don't roll in style. You know, if they live in dirty caves. Uh, okay. If you insist. So there is a little bit of techno fantasy, but uh, right off the bat, you've got a lot as a DM to simulate and to be able to understand. Yeah, you're going to have to embrace a great deal of prep just work. to manage this one. Uh, aside from a cursory examination of the spell limitations, uh, a basic understanding of how the demon web works and mm -hmm. how it is navigated. Uh, and then we go into the next section, which is, hey... Uh, it's a class on arachnid biology because not only do you just have spiders, 
But you have strange spiders like winter grooms, uh, sun spiders, the scorpion arachnid level, giant pedipalpi. Yeah, it's uh, like solifugids. Uh, you know, scorpions, the works, winter grooms. Nothing you'd want to find in your boot. <laughs> no, no. Um, <laughs> although while uh, sun spiders look nasty, they're really you know. Well, yeah, they do pack a nasty uh, pinch, but they're not really dangerous. Well, we're you know, how fortunate. <laughs> Unfortunately, you will not be running into anything that. Now, if you're big. like the same, if they're huge, like make them like five classes bigger, yeah, we've got a serious problem. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Here in the demon web, uh, it is just an infinite variety, uh, level by level, of all kinds uh, of creepy crawlies and some new demons. And that's handmade. just the hallways. Yeah, this is just the wandering monsters. There's a lot of uh, spider types, so I guess they kind of might have gotten a little bored of just encountering giant spiders all the time so oh it's a black widow spider or is it a giant tarantula it's a black widow spider okay now only the most notable encounters in each web level on the demon web have been highlighted uh, yeah the key encounters room treatment but and it's entirely possible the player characters may bypass several of them but we're going to have to hold that thought for a moment because oh. we're coming to the break time. So we'll get right back to you. So hold that thought and we'll be right back. All right. Welcome back, folks. Yeah. So uh, we're talking about the key encounters inside the demon web pits. So, Mike, take it away. Okay. Uh, in the the first one, it is the Chamber of the Troll Guards. Uh, and because there is constant darkness in all of these places, uh, the unready or unprepared for traveling in darkness. Oh, well, let's not maybe. do a, a... Let's just do an overview of each of the levels. But, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to speed through these. Oh, okay. My, my meta point is that in most of these encounters, the challenge is not merely the creatures, but the circumstances under which they attack you. Uh, and the disadvantages the players will face. And that mm. will be a recurring theme throughout this entire module. That is one that you must be ready for, is that adjudicating these has mostly to do with the adverse circumstances that have been written into this so that the players will be far more challenged by ordinary monsters. Hey, bugbear, not that challenging. But later, when I explain the circumstances, it will be. So there's the troll room and you know, being grappled and tackled by a number of trolls makes it more challenging than normal. Uh, the next one, the stronghold of trolls. The players are being tricked, and spoiler here, uh, it's a guy who has captured werewolves to bargain for his release, but they're in their human forms and they look like beautiful women. We're complaining that this terrible person has captured them and is holding them prisoner. Ah, uh, the old honey trap. Yeah, exactly. The old honeypot trap, and the, if the players fall for it, they wind up fighting a fairly powerful cleric who is actually good. Uh, and if they release these blades, they're just going to get attacked by werewolves. So, uh, Dirty Pool, uh, the Knoll Barracks, which, again, tactics uh, with gnolls and minotaurs, it's the tactics that make this tough. There's a lot of gnolls, but the real challenge is that, you know, the DM has been given suitable advice on how to make use of them effectively. Uh, and then a teleport room. 
This is a recurring feature for moving between levels of the web. Well, now, anytime there's an intersection, though, from the web, you can move up or down. Yeah. If it's a higher one, you can move up. If it's one lower, you can uh, move down, back down to it. But you want the idea is that you want to get up. Uh, some of you may remember a brief discussion of the egg with its multiple items inside that are vaguely like dice. The, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pyramids yeah. and shapes. Uh, that are inside yeah, walls. Yeah, that was, uh, this comes into play here. The access of the teleport rooms requires upon the players to have made use of the egg properly and to have opened it and acquired its components. If they have not done so, it complicates their movements greatly. <laughs> so can't say enough uh, for the players paying attention and puzzling things out and taking chances. Uh, sometimes it's totally merited. But that takes us to web level two. Well, yeah, each one of the levels de definitely has its own. It, there are titular encounters to get to each one of the uh, teleport rooms to achieve getting to the next level because going up and down the levels uh, that interact in this weird uh, physics defying normative map require the use of certain spells. And they knew going into this that not everybody's going to have the exact spell combo to get through this. And since you're constantly being attacked by creepy crawlies out of the back of some arachnid biologist's nightmare, you're constantly under threat and peril. It's very hard to recover spells and attune yourself to the challenges needed, let alone understand what they are in the first place, because it's usually how you discover this. It's through trial and error on the player side. And the DM is not giving any hints at this stage in the game one of the big instructions yeah very tough now here's what i talked about uh, with the tactics uh, beginning web level two the magnetic chamber uh, you know you're entering a chamber with a polished metal mirror on the other side only it's not a mirror it's a gigantic lodestone a powerful magnet uh, those wearing metallic armor will be affected if they are not strong enough to resist the pull and if they are wearing heavy enough metallic armor they have no choice. There's there's no hope. Now, a band of bugbears, 30 in number, wielding mallets and clubs <laughs> uh, that are not ferrous and therefore not magnetic. Uh, yeah, wearing leather armor and uh, wielding wooden mallets. <laughs> they run out and wail on whoever is trapped. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, man. Just, just a horrible, horrible DM screwery. Uh, but that's the tactics I'm talking about here. Is that the players well, yeah, this is the, the toolkit you get out of uh, all the dungeon dirty tricks. I mean, from grim tooth traps to, you know, magnetism as a way to equalize players who coat themselves in plate mail from head to toe. Long uh, been that. And also, you know, all the dirty tricks that they've learned. And it ramps up higher and higher. Uh, what I really liked, and I think is a big one, is on level three, the... Uh, the drow uh, ziggurat there. Oh, oh, the three pyramids chamber. Yeah, that is that is a very tough encounter to run right because you you that is one if you are not ready, uh, just give that one a pass um, if you have to. But yeah, if you feel like your players are clumsy, you may want to steer them out of this. Well, no, you as a DM the, because this is your your goal here is basically all the gloves are off. This if you die, you die here, 
and this is one of those uh, encounters right there. If you don't run that right, uh, you're doing a little bit of a disservice. Since they all are work together and they are all highly motivated, and there's a lot of dangerous traps even afterwards. So that's just level three, and you know there's a big mess of stuff on the second level that Mike wanted to probably cover, so I'm just going to let him go to that. The big one was the, for me, was the Mirror of Opposition on the second level. Yeah, the Chamber of Opposition with a Mirror of Opposition directly across from the door. Uh, there are 20 ogres in the room. The door is opened. One of the characters who open the door will automatically look into the mirror. The DM should roll randomly to determine which one. The characters opposite will step out of the mirror and attack. At the same time, the ogres will join and attack the party. Yours will automatically treat the opposite as their leader. The image is an exact opposite. Right-handedness becomes left-handed. Good becomes evil. Lawful becomes chaotic, etc. Uh, opposite, the opposite's treasure is exactly what the original has, including magic items. But these magic items will disappear when the opposite is killed. Yeah, you're getting where Well, I'm yeah, it's, so, it's the mirror opposition. Your, your enemy gets 20 ogres as his teammates. And... <laughs> Oh, uh, well, on the bright side, yeah. at least it wasn't your party's most powerful spellcaster that like is likely to open the door first. It's usually, you know, the rogue picks the lock and the warrior goes in first. So uh, yeah. probably the warrior, maybe the rogue, but you never know, though. Either way, it, it can be incredibly complicated. Uh, <clears throat> there was another chamber before that, the Black Chamber. It's a huge unlit room with a 20-foot ceiling. Uh, and yeah, it's a group of leveled drow. Uh, not particularly large, but all particularly powerful and wielding high class spells. Uh, so the Chamber of Opposition, the Black Chamber, and then the second teleport room. Again, the contents of the egg will be useful if you wish to make the fullest and easiest mm -hmm. proper use of the teleport chambers. Uh, web level three, Chamber of the Peace Speakers. Well, welcome to the oldest form of DM screwery, which is uh, having <clears throat> monsters pretend to be friendly, and it's jackal wares this time, uh, and they're nice right up until... Well, yeah, and this is a big thing where we're talking like, yeah, it's DM screwery, it's, it's old hat, but what is old is new again, because I think that while as a early adventurers we had always there was always some weird trick in a dungeon where there was like hey dungeon adventurers like this dungeon except for this one weird trick that dms rarely use click on this link and yeah before it became a meme to uh, kind of do this stuff yeah magnets <laughs> dirty pool darkness chambers um yeah occasionally using a cursed item like a mirror of opposition that was really kind of meant as well the magic is here will want naturally gaze at the mirror of mental prowess. <laughs> you know it's magically. Who's going to look into it? Oh, I will dare. Ha ha! Who's a pretty princess, Kenneth? Who's a pretty princess? Well, now who's a chaotic evil magic user who starts nuking the party with all his buddies <laughs> or his duplicate spells? Now, um, <laughs> this, you know, these levels, um, what I, what I mean to say is that what's old is new again. Maybe it was old hat for a while and got kind of troped, but a lot of people haven't found and experienced this again. So I always think it's good to have another look at this. <coughs> oh, pardon me. Pardon. But yeah, yeah. Uh, 
it is old-fashioned DM screwery, uh, being spoken to politely and welcomingly by, you know, creatures that then immediately turn on you at the moment of greatest advantage for them. And you wondered why they had murder hobos. Yeah. This is how we got murder hobos, folks. You, know, you wonder why, like, I never the trust you. asks for your help. I put a crossbow bolt through his head. That's a sure setup. I can tell. You must be evil. Or in league with evil. <laughs> like, okay, the paranoia has gotten to him. That's well, of... with good reasons, justification. Yeah. Now, Everybody in the dungeon is your enemy. Uh, the chamber Randy spoke of earlier was the lieutenants of law. Yeah. Six high-powered leveled drow. And ten zombies at the base of each pyramid. Uh, Meat shields. Yeah, they're really just, you know, <laughs> uh, guys, on, you know, like two drow on top of each pyramid and a bunch of zombies to throw in your way while they basically use all their powers and spells to their greatest In perfect consort with the male and female working in complete tandem. Yeah. You're supposed to play this exactly, and each group is going to... Uh, get a different reaction out of these guys but these are the best of the best this is drow's this is low excuse me most elite and trusted drow lieutenants yeah they are not kidding um and those upper level like fifth level spells and sixth level spells are not off the table here those are here uh you know the party's facing things like cone of cold and flame strike and uh you know uh, opponents guarded by globes of invulnerability or like yep, the, to... the male oh, uh, drow fighter magic users casting globes oh you're coming at me mighty warrior here try wading through a blade barrier you know yep and that's exactly how it went through confusion blade I feel barrier polymorph like other I feel like a fork that got dropped into the uh... into the garbage disposal yeah exactly and then you get, you know, flame strikes on top of that. And it just can, it keeps going on and on. But it's truly tough. And this, that's one where I felt like, okay, that's, if they survive that, they should be ready to base level. Oh, yeah. That one, Look, that was one, basically it's. This one separates the wheat from the chaff. If you get through the black chamber, uh, which is tough enough. And then you make your way through the pyramid chamber. Uh, if you've beaten those two encounters against extremely high-level drow working in concert, you're ready. You know you have some idea of like the relative strength of the players because it's no peach. Uh, this was meant yeah, to be polymorph other on the uh, <clears throat> fighter confusion. And then multiple damage spells on the weaker members. Yeah, it, it, it gets nasty really quick. <laughs> uh, yeah, there are specific, uh, you know, spell regulars here that I, people will recognize a lot of the classics. Uh, not to mention uh, unique magical item, the Death Lance, a you know ten foot spear that discharges a negative force, causing an additional three to twelve points of damage. Uh, you know, and one to four energy levels, as in, yes, earned player character levels are lost. Kiss and goodbye. Yeah. Uh, if they fail to save versus poison. And it is a lance with six charges. So, oh, yeah, that, that 12 levels. Ah, you can... You're 12 well, anyway, um, You could leave as level one. We got a... Um, 
hustle up a little bit. So level four gets you right from that chamber. You get to level four. Yeah. Well, what is it? The one after is the burial chamber. Bunch of guests. You know, yeah. welcome to a bunch of undead. This is kid stuff after what you've just been through. Right. Next teleportation chamber. You got to fight some demons. Uh, low level, the type three. Uh, nothing too outrageous. They got ten hit dice, but the players should be stronger than that if they've healed up. And that takes you to web level four. And this is where things get weird. Holy I like God. I like how that segued in. This is where it gets weird, as if it already wasn't weird. If you thought, like, oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. And Iraq knowledge is worst nightmare come to life. <laughs> yeah, you you started off with Asher painting for a dungeon setting, and now it gets weird. Yeah, this is where. I kind of wanted to land a plane right on it. Was this? This is the big thing that sticks out about this module. Now we'll we'll talk a little bit about Loth at the end, but here's where I wanted to kind of indulge was the way that they went into the. This level represents the uh, uh, level where Loth has various gateways into worlds that she's made inroads to. Yeah, different planes of reality that she is attempting to conquer. Uh, and they're other primaterial planes. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, one of them is the kingdom of Care City. Uh, Care City is, uh, it's, if you can imagine a race of elves that are neutral with evil tendencies, uh, who call themselves the Pharisees. Uh, and they are the ruling class of this planet with their occasional allies, hobgoblins, gnomes, and trolls. Uh, their servants and slaves are dwarves, orcs, gnomes, and kobolds, and all manner of wild mythological beasts, unicorns, griffins, dragons, manicorns, and so forth. Uh, and they are tentatively eyeballing some form of, you know, potential alliance with Loth. Uh, but the negotiations are rather delicate. There's, there's wiggle room here. Uh, it's kind of left to the DM uh, to iron out where things are going to go from here. You know, like, do the player characters tilt the balance against alliance with Lolf? Uh, and, you know, wind or, or work out a way to win the favor of or close the gate? Uh, and I, These are campaign-level events packed into a single module. Each of these alternate universes has its own little drama going on. Uh, induced yeah, by law. I mean, after this, it kind of seems like there's a lot of things going on outside of the scope of the adventure, which you really set into. That, you know, these are all rabbit trails that, if approached right, are very fascinating. I mean, obviously, how is this encounter going to be solved? By roleplay. Ugh. <laughs> Tell me when the talking's over. But there's some nice ones. Um, a couple of the other ones here, you know, are, are pretty standard. But the last two, the... Uh, what was it? The Realm of War, man. Oh, uh, wait. Um, Vlad Tolenkov? No. Well, I want to talk about that one in particular, maybe. But uh, the other one. Yeah. Maldev. Uh, Maldev, yeah. Where there's two dwarven fortresses, and it's like, this is the twilight of the gods moment, where, like, all hope is about to be extinguished. And, you know. They face a far superior force. 10,000 monsters, gnolls, all kinds of catacule bastiches and no goods out there including some for no reason in particular umber hulks but i guess they had to be there 10 baritons and six umber hulks it kind of seems as an afterthought but all right hey 
But yeah, you go in there and, you know, a last alliance of werebores, or werebears, dwarves, and a few men are making their last stand against the lost army. So that's a really good one to pull in. And then I'm going to pull another one out of here. Is the Nightmare Realm of Vlad Tokenkov. And here we go. Uh, the This is uh, before Ravenloft made an appearance. Not too long before. But I would argue that uh, good old Vlad there... You know, there, there's some there's some precedent there for a uh, vampiric wizard. Yeah, and he is not your buddy. He is like, oh firmly yeah, firmly in the Oh, you can say. Oh, it you're I... evil! I'm so happy to be of help to you. Yes. Ah, you know, he was down with law. And each one beginning. of these is with different things. I mean, uh, I've had a party just want to stay in Maldiv and just carve up Loth minions all day. Uh, well, yeah, the, the hopeless battle versus Loth's minions is a pretty fun one. Uh, yeah. But the Labyrinth of Arachne, oh, boy. Like, have, you haven't already experienced this. But here's the one twist on this one. The only twist is that there are also survivors who have managed to yeah. form tribal communities here. And they have no kindness left in their hearts. They're, they look at you as a source of potential supplies. So... Like even the, the people who used to be nice who survived long enough in this place are out to kill you too. So there's no joy in Mudville. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the Black Fen, huge desolate swamp. Uh, once again, everything pretty much sucks. <laughs> Lots of horrible monsters in the Great Black Fen. Uh, a great ocean. Oh my gosh. Like, uh, welcome to Waterworld. Okay, grab yeah. your Kevin Costner boots. Well, uh, <laughs> and get ready for adventures. Yeah, I, I kind of like that one. From you can play it like a, uh, a Neolithic type tribal area where you know humanity was just getting its hold in this part of the world, and it's just really uh, desolate and dangerous. It's island city to island city, uh, vast mercantile empires, humans sailing the ocean in huge catamarans. Yeah. Uh, and where you're coming into it, is you're basically seeing just like uh, you come into a Neolithic uh, folk just kind of carving themselves up, but fighting these demons pretty on even man, uh, mannerisms, or even terms, excuse me, and uh, having uh, distinct mannerisms from player characters. You know, a few players got uh, some tattoos before they got for helping these folks out. So that was a cool thing, too. But. Yeah, getting right into the meat of the matter. Finally, the confrontation was lost with all these uh, rabbit trails, side trails, and this horrid maze. You're finally able to confront her in a giant floating spider ship. Which, hey, you know, metal is AF, but here we are. It kind of gets cheap in here. Uh, they go for some gags uh, right off the bat. You get those uh, closets who basically, yeah, yeah, the lady's waiting for you inside. Go in. No. Okay. Well, they engage in petty theft, tripping, hit and run attacks. Minor. Oh well, yeah, but yeah. They but. basically ignore the party for the most part. The paladin giving his great speech on how he is here to rid his prime material plane of loath falls on these oh, guys. Great. Another monologuer. It's yep. like the third one this week. Yeah, why they, can't they just kill instead of you know, Why can't they just shut up and kill? So, but you know, there's also some kind of uh, weird steampunk imagery. Uh, affectations, techno fantasy wizard, whatever you want to call it. You know, you're definitely getting your peanut butter in your chocolate, so that wrangles and feathers. And initially, for me, it kind of seemed cheap. And, you know, just kind of like half-hearted. Well, 
we weren't like really playing at the exact moment this came out. You know, I mean, honestly, by the time we started having collections of modules to cross-examine, uh, we were already familiar with Barrier Peaks. So it felt like this was riffing on the same note. It didn't feel as like original and as interesting as it might have. This, you know, honestly. Well, sure, but I, we didn't collect everything in perfect. Even form. those had a, they they approached it with a a little bit of a depth that made it seem like, hey, this is fasting. Where this is just kind of like, yeah, it's you know, we got lazy. Okay. <laughs> and who can blame you? There's a lot in here. So the. The crux is, is that the spider ship has several different levels, and of course, she has her strongest allies and minions here. And so, Loth will um, let the characters test themselves. Her first two a couple appearances are just to gauge the worth. She can heal herself up and is incredibly hard to hit, and has the ability to teleport at will nearly any place she wants as a demon lord. Now, if you want to up the, uh, the difficulty level and go to nightmare mode, turn her to a lesser god then you're going to see a lot different levels. I have to run both, and um, nobody survived the Lesser Goddess no, uh, uh, aspect of Loth. That that was just way out of... Yeah, I should mention that uh, <laughs> there is some general weirdness in the because the ship is formed from the stuff of Chaos itself. Uh, there on like a minor plane of the Abyss, which is her personal dom domain. Uh, so there's a random change table for uh, certain items that are not like key equipment and armor and magical items, uh, but you know, key things around the ship may get weird uh, for no reason. But at the various decks, yeah, you've got frost giants to contend with and Lolth's, uh, you know, uh, what is it, the Yaklal. Oh. Yeah, the Handmaidens of Love. That would be an easier way to pronounce it. The Chamber of the Black Dragon. Uh, the oh, yeah. There's, of Lulf. there's a lot of tricks oh. and things in there, but uh, we're getting a little short on time. Yeah. So. Never mind the Chamber of the Goat Beast and whatnot. We're gonna... so the crux of the matter is, as well as it's going to test the player characters with the first encounter, the second one, she's going to try to kill them, and the third one, is she's getting desperate. Now, the reason That's why the there's a timing on it, she gets a, a number of heals per day. Now, she only has 66 hit points, but she can heal herself completely three times a day. Now, uh, there's get your timing and uh, spell counter uh, rules down because at will and um, on command are going to be important for you to know the differences. So at will doesn't require thought, at command requires a action. So that's a big thing that comes down to timing because she has at will. Players will try to interrupt or counterspell it. That, that's come up pretty much because, yeah, it's kind of cheap. But uh, she uses, makes the most purpose of it, and a fight with her on her own plane is devastating. Now, there goes also the one thing that this whole module uh, could be rendered uh, superfluous or redundant by the fact that as a lesser goddess, she could just kill the player characters or close access to them. Those items we talked about earlier allow the players to bend those rules that the gods play by or are bound to, however you want to look at it. And whereas when she's a demon lord, eh, not so important. Um, they they give you some benefits, but you know they uh, also those artifacts. If you take her as a lesser goddess, allow the players to nullify several of her abilities, and that's kind of I think. 
an interesting thing, probably playing it through a couple times, and somebody said, well, wait, if she's a lesser goddess, why doesn't she just restrict us from, you know, use one of her wishes and says that we, we can't enter? Oh, good point. Well, this, these possession of those items, this, I believe it's the pyramid, makes you immune to that. So you can gain access. So yeah, the, the point being that you are forcing a confrontation with her uh, and that she's, you know, just as many disadvantages as you have faced, the one that she has to face is that some of her automatic god-level protections from things are nerfed. Uh, and, oh, she's got to fight you toe-to-toe. Now the end game is, of course, after she dies, or you kill her the final time, she dies in her own plane, and the whole place collapses. Now players need to jump immediately to one of the portals, because that's where she, the last encounter will normally be taking place, is in a room of her portals. And she's going to try to jump through one at the last second to save herself. Now it all comes down to a die roll. And they give you uh, several hints as well in the back here, because they ran out of room. <laughs> You're what, on page 27? Yeah. yeah. So they give you some extra encounters to add if you want to flesh them out. And then they also even give you some other worlds, which are a little disappointing, to be honest. Well, um, a lot of fleshing out is required. Yeah, this, these are just barest of ideas, the kernels that need to land in that fertile soil, which we talked about earlier. Savannah, endless rolling plains of tall grasses, possibly on a large planet. You know, just, that's it. That's yeah. all you get. Huh. But you can work with it. I mean, woodlands, you know, populated by sylvan creatures, you know, yeah, fast running streams and grassy meadows. Oh, great. It's a uh, bite of your Brackenwood. <laughs> that would be a good place to end up. I know, right? Uh, last of the Dashkin. <laughs> and for those who get that, good on you. Good you on know you. who you are. Give yourself a pat on the back. For yeah. Learn. Uh, <laughs> uh, but. A lot of wonderful things can be added to this uh, and with a little DM creativity, but the tools are there for just a campaign in a single package. Uh, yeah, what an ender hopefully. that opens up a new campaign because if the players aren't careful and aren't <laughs> ready to, as, that, as the demon web collapses, they could be destroyed forever, lost in the abyss, torn apart. And then the next wife is arguing with the dog. Um, the last part is the players might have to jump through one of those portals. And where will they land? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, boy. Welcome to Sliders. Um, yeah. <laughs> continually jumping, universe to universe, trying to get home. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and but it's... I've got to keep to manage. <laughs> exactly. I had things I was supposed to be doing. Well, that's kind of gone now. Yeah. <laughs> might want to forget that. You're going to have a long beard before you get home. Uh, so, yeah. Q1. A lot of potential. It was confiscated to pay back taxes. You heard what I said. <laughs> but yeah, that'll go, go do it for us. We're winding down on time, so we're just going to wrap it up there. Q1. Yeah. Great module. Just uh, It has a lot of potential, and I think that it, if there's any uh, slip-ups in it, there's just so much. It, it, it's really hard to get your arms around that whole concept, let alone put it down on paper. So, I mean, each DM is going to have their own war stories from it, but that's my two cents. Go ahead. All right. Well, then, let us leave you with... Oh, well, that'll do it for us, then. We'll, we'll catch you next time. So, until next time, may the dice, dice always roll in your, your favor. favor. We're out. See ya. See ya.